Hello, I hope you're well. Welcome back to another episode of One on One from the Pick and Roll. My name is Daniel Lasoto, and today I'm joined by another fantastic guest on the show. In the basketball world, we often talk about basketball journeymen, a breed of player who wears a different uniform each season, yet their skill and experience always keeps them contributing at a professional level. So I thought, in the spirit of the offseason and the transactions often involving our basketball journeymen, I thought it could be fitting to have one of the most travelled journeymen on the show. Kevin Owens is a New Jersey native who played a seven-year professional career across the D-League, South Korea, New Zealand, Europe, and even a season in the NBL with Cairns. Kevin retired in 2010, but has remained an active member of the basketball community, hosting his overseas famous podcast and releasing his autobiography of the same name earlier this year. So Kevin, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. No, such a pleasure. Kevin, I want to start at the beginning of your professional career because declared for the 2003 NBA drafters alongside some pretty big names, but you go undrafted, of course, and start pro-life in the D-League, which you now know as J-League. Yeah. Here's some of stories about the D-League before it became the J-League and the less than glamorous conditions that players were exposed to. So do you have any yeah. funny stories you can share with me about that time? It was it was crazy because I talked to, I train a guy right now, uh, Nick Stauskas, who's kind of like played in the G-League last year, was with the Sixers for a little bit. Um, and he's just like, he was telling me about the bubble last year. I'm like, that's nothing like we experienced. Like we were grassroots, not getting paid anything, taking buses everywhere. Uh, no one knew who we were. No one cared. Uh, we would show up to play teams and people like had no respect. Uh, we played Maryland and they were like, we're going to smack you. Like we're a top 25 team. And we ended, you know, we, we smacked them and they're like, we're like, dude, you don't understand. Like we're pro basketball players you're you're all college kids like we've done that we've all gone to universities division one like you're nothing special so it was crazy but um yeah just like the the less than glamorous life I think was the you know we took bus rides I remember just hopping on a bus after playing a game you're 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 exhausted you're tired and then you hop on a bus and you're traveling like 12 hours on a bus and then you get off and practice and then you have another game that night. It was very, it was like, it, it was very old school. Uh, you were just living out of a bus. And then when we finally got back to, you know, our little condo apartments, you were just like, this is so nice. And you realize like, <laughs> it's really not that nice. It's just better than the bus. Yeah. Do you think that start to your professional career was good for you in some ways to sort of I, I maybe like perhaps focus on basketball? Because you hear a lot of people go like top five in the draft, you know, get you off to a big city by a big apartment and they go they sort of lose that sort of um I guess not not humbleness but just that ability to stay connected to the game is, is that good for you you think no it was a hundred percent I think it helped me tremendously it did keep me humble humble I wasn't you know I was never that guy like my the book and stuff like I'm just like a normal dude I was like never that egomaniac like my journey was just like what normal people would go through I just happened to be really tall and pretty good at basketball. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the differentiating thing. Uh, but I just think that, that in terms of uh, the extra shots and how much time you used to spend trying to get better, that was huge. I mean, I went to a smaller division one uh, school at Monmouth, and then I ended up getting the D league and I was staying after for practice every day, getting extra shots. I was that guy because what else was I going to do? Like there's, <laughs> I was getting paid nothing. 
I didn't have money to go and like do stuff. So I'm just like, I'm going to, I guess, stay here and work on my game. So it did really help. I think that humbling experience and just the fact that you had nothing else to do or no money to spend was great because you just ended up getting better and there's nothing else to do. No, for sure. That sounds like the case for a lot of people who go, especially to parts of Europe, like they don't know the people there, they don't know the country on the language. So, you know what, let's just improve our basketball. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, Kevin, I want to fast forward a little bit because you did leave the daily about three seasons. Um, you went to Cairns for the um, mm-hmm. 2006, 2007 NBL season. As someone who you know, played college in America and played professionally in America, how hard was it for you to leave all those familiarities of home and then play on the other side of the world? It was, it was, uh, it was, it was a weird, uh, perfect situation in terms of obviously Australia for the the average American, it's, it's paradise. It's this place that you always want to visit, uh, maybe due to the fact that it's far and it's exotic and there's like weird, you know, random animals and people are like, whoa. And then the crocodile hunter was real big. So you're kind of like, this is awesome. So that was a really big thing. Uh, that was tough in terms of, I don't know. I mean, once you leave home, you're, you're gone. I think there's, uh, there's this, this little psyche thing that almost says, well, I'm only in Europe. I'm only six hours away, eight hours away. And then when you're in Australia, you're like, well, like I'm saying, I'm from Philly. So, you know, you're crossing to LA and then you're flying, you know, 14 hours to Sydney and then up. So you're like, you're just far away. Like, so that, that did sink in, but Australia makes everything so much better because it's such a, it was such an incredible experience. Uh, I was so, so blessed to actually have the opportunity to play there. Um, and it's weird too, cause just like just the whole entire system, like nowadays, like I get it, like people would figure out you know, everything's on the internet. Like I would, this was this communication that we're currently having right now. I would have given anything for this communication to happen with like my parents back then. (laughs) Like I was just, just talking to them on a phone for two minutes. Uh, But the, just the technology is incredible. So finding an import from America uh, back then, it's very difficult because you just didn't know enough. You couldn't go and scout the main far trip. But uh, I was really grateful and blessed to have that opportunity to play in Cairns, which was a, an unbelievable season. Yeah, yeah. So you played in the 2006-2007 season, of course, which since then, the NBA has come leaps, leaps and bounds, really. Um, so many really strong imports for the Next Stars program, bring a lot of lottery picks to the NBA. When imports come to Australia, Kevin, they always talk about the physicality, how it's a much phys- more physical game, it's pretty rough, and it's just more about, um, I guess, grit in some ways. You know, whoever, whoever plays the hardest usually wins. Did you find that true of your time in the NBL? No, definitely. I think um, just the, the, the international game was difficult because, obviously, I, I was in Poland for a bit, but then I was back in the G League for, you know, two, three years. So this is my first trip where I'm like, this is, I'm there for a season. So adjusting to those international kind of rules, how hard, you know, how, like, what's a foul, what's not a foul, that was very difficult. I think that was the, the toughest transition of figuring out what I can get away with and what I can't. It's also, you know, you, you're put into a situation as an import where you have to be the man. And again, coming from the G League where it was like, you better be the best rebounder there or you're not going to have a shot at the NBA. Because when you go to the NBA, there's going to be 300 guys who can score better than you, but you need to be uh, a top 50 rebounder or you're not going to last. Like you're not going to, you're, you're, 
I'm just not that guy who's I'm not Jordan who's can come in and do it all. I'm the Kevin Owens, and that's like way down the line. So that was difficult to kind of men- mentally be like, you have to be the man now. And I think I struggled with it in the beginning, and then I started kind of finding my way. So it, it was an adjustment. The foul situation never was easy. Uh, I do think my physicality coming over, that was something that I was a big guy and I wanted to play hard and I wanted to rebound and I was pushing and shoving. And sometimes it was like I would get away with it and sometimes they'd be like, dude, get just go sit down. Like beep, 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 go three fouls, go sit. So it was, uh, it was that was definitely an adjustment. I think that was tough. But in terms of when I started kind of clicking and figuring it out, I think that mentally in terms of my whole career and in terms of my basketball mentality, Australia was the place where it it clicked, where I was like, you need to be the man. And I did everything I could to try to be the man. And, you know, it lasted only a season, but hey, it was great. No, it was fun while it lasted, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so much fun. <laughs> uh, Kevin, I want to talk off the court for a minute because in your book, you write about some of the challenges that Americans deal with playing overseas, whether that be you know, culturally a language barrier, whatever it may be. I imagine the language barrier wouldn't have been a problem here, but no. were there any um, cultural quirks or differences that you had to navigate while in Australia? It's funny because there is, you know, Australians, you guys, there's a very uh, unique dialect and some of the things I was just like, what? Like, I've, I think I was watching Parks and Recreation the other day and, like, Andy Dwyer sitting there talking to the British guy and he's like, aluminium. And I remember, like, that was one of those things where I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? And I was like, oh, wait. And just those little, like, nuances, the little slangs and things that you had to adjust to. But in terms of just everything else, I definitely thought the the driving was definitely difficult for me. Because in your mind, like you make a right turn in America, you start going. Now I'm on the other side. So I start making a right turn and I'm like going right in oncoming traffic. It happened at least twice a day for like at least six months. So that was an adjustment. I think just in terms of everything else, it was, it's such a perfect place. And I know for me, it's like paradise. Like it's, it's everything you want in terms of uh, going away because people do speak the language and people, the, the culture is very similar to the American culture. So it's not like this culture shock experience. The crazy crap, like the crazy animals and insects and snakes and stuff, I'm cool with. I think I like that. But like per capita amount of things that could kill me, especially in cans, was like absurd. And I think I like that. I like that. Like I embraced that. I went to the zoo a bunch. I was looking at taipans. I'm like, this is so cool. So that was something that you kind of, you're, you're watching your step more when you're like walking around and going outside the flying foxes and cans. That was something that was pretty new. I remember just being like, what is that? It's just like a huge bat. that's like the size of a car flying. I'm like, all right, I guess that's normal. I'm like eating dinner. People were like, whatever. Just like keep eating. I'm like, all right, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna say, I think if you want to pick one NBA franchise to go to, if you want to experience all the sort of um things that can kill you in Australia, I think Kansas is the one. So I think oh, yeah. kind of Queensland one. That's what you out if you want to be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you only spent one season in the NBL. Kansas are knocked out in the semifinals by eventual champions Melbourne, and you moved on mm-hmm. to Korea for the next season. What ultimately led you to leave? My goal was to be the guy 
like the Sean Reddish and the Adam Ballinger and the, you know, Corey, Corey Williams, like homicide, like the guys that go to Australia and just stay there. Like, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Like I was thinking in my mind, like, I just want to go there and stay there. But cans, I was in a situation where Nathan July was coming up and he was, you know, they're not going to, I get it. I completely understood. It's a business. And Nate, Nathan was going to come in and he's a center and I was the same position and he's the young guy and they're not going to waste an import spot when they have this beast coming up. They're just going to find, you know, an import spot of a, of a different need. So I got that. So I was very grateful. I had a great talk with, uh, you know, Alan Black and, and Fernie and like the whole organization. I was very like humbled and happy. They kept me around. I did end up, there were a few offers. I know the breakers, uh, a few others, and I was mulling those over and I got uh, the call to kind of go to South Korea. Now, South Korea, it was kind of a disaster in terms of my career, but in terms of the money, it was really good. And it's like one of those things where like you don't play for money, but making $12,000 for three years in the D League, like you got to play for something. Otherwise, like I can't pay my bills. So like when I say like, oh, I'm a professional basketball player, they're like, oh, buy drinks for the bar. I'm like, with what, dude? Like, I'm not that guy. So that was something where I really wanted to kind of, you know, utilize the time I had and make as much as I can. So I went there and I actually got hurt and the breakers offered me again, but I was, wasn't clear to play. So I had to turn it down and I just, you know, my knee wasn't any better I struggled with knee problems from that point on. And I just kind of was like, uh, like a shell of the player I was. Uh, so that kind of like ended that time. I went back to New Zealand to try to get back in and I just didn't really have the greatest showing. I was still kind of like rehabbing. And from there, it just kind of like went downhill. So <laughs> I wish I could have got back. That's one of those regrets where if I did it all again, I would have just taken that deal and not going to South Korea. Did Ken's offer you to come back? Was just, just the breakers? Uh, yeah, it was the breakers like cans cans was just like, you know, we're, we have Nate, Nathan, you're good. You know, we're not going to bring you back. We're not going to resign you, but you know, like there's going to be other teams that are going to be interested in you, which I was grateful for. I mean, I had a decent year, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, mentally overcoming some of those things, I thought I had a decent year. I was an all-star. I, you know, we, we had a good team. We, we went to the semifinals. I it was like kind of pushing towards, making cans kind of a big powerhouse but yeah it's just one of those things where sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't you can't live with regret but like in the back of my mind I'm like sucks because I wish I was still living there and I mean obviously we just talked with the whole situation in lockdown everything happens for <laughs> <laughs> no you got it while you could <laughs> after, after Korea you obviously go to Estonia in Europe and then also Kosovo I want to yeah. talk about your European stint for a little bit because even the Australian players go over there, they find it quite tough playing for little money, playing in empty arenas, playing with people who don't know their names, people who are quite rude to them. And you talk about in your book because different American athletes that go overseas, they may not know what to expect or they may you know, miss, a miss a paycheck and it can all go pretty on pear pretty quickly. You retired over a decade ago and since the time you've been a pretty active presence in a bunch of different publications and of course been vocal about overseas basketball on your podcast. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're playing, was it always a desire of yours to shed more light on an aspect of the game which doesn't get any attention? Like you were saying, they're Australian guys, American guys. You go to Europe, and it's like 
it's like you're kind of like thrown back into the middle ages in terms of it's not highly publicized like you know you're not living in squalor or living in a castle i mean some people are but it's more like you're you you just don't have that voice that you did maybe in the mbl or in the nba you kind of lose that voice because there's so many teams there's so many things going on there's so many leagues there's seven you know there, spain has like four different divisions and there's so many teams and then there's France and then there's Germany and like all of these teams and you kind of get it just it's just lumped into he's playing overseas or he's playing in Europe. That's what it almost becomes. And I wanted to kind of with all of this just just be a voice to be like this is what's going on like this is I, a lot of people don't know what's going on because there hasn't been much publication of it. So I wanted to be that guy to kind of be like, this is what happens over there. Let me take you through my story. Because while my story is unique in terms of it happened to me, a lot of the experiences are things that have happened to many players all over the world. Whether missed paychecks, getting hurt, and then just being like, see ya. Difficult fans, language barriers. Like all these things are very common when you go to Europe. But it's like you're just labeled into this thing. Like even Joe Ingalls, when he left uh, the Dragons, and he goes to Europe and it's like, you don't really hear about him until he comes back and you're like, where's Joe? And be like, oh, he's in Europe. Like what team? Like, I don't know. Like the, how many people, that's like such a common thing. I mean, I know even friends of mine who are still playing. I'm like, where are they? And they're like, oh, in Europe. I'm like, what team? And they're like, Germany. I'm like, but what team? And they're like, I have no idea what team. It's in, they play in Germany. Well, that's all I can tell you. So I wanted to be the voice to kind of give like a, a face and a, and a specific something to that overseas game where you're just kind of a lost soul and you come out of it and Joe comes back to Australia and he goes to the NBA and it's like, oh, Joe's back. And like, so those little things where it's like, this is where I was, this is what I was doing. So I wanted to kind of make sure that people knew that that's what goes on over there. Yeah, no, it's a really honorable thing you're doing. I'm glad you mentioned Joe because, you know, Joe's not any Euro player. He's a Euro League champ. Yeah. He's, he's legit. And it's, legit. You're, you're right, you know, until he goes to the Jazz, you know, who's this guy? Can you just tell us a bit more about your book and what it touches on in terms of your Overseas Famous tag? Overseas Famous came when we were talking, I was talking with like the people I do the podcast with. They were like, let's do live shows like in Philadelphia or New York. And I'm like, no one's going to come. I was like, no one knows who I am. I was like, I walk into, into a grocery store, you know, food store, whatever. And people are like, you should play for the Sixers. And I'm like, dude, I gave, tried to play for the Sixers. It didn't work out. But those are the things where they don't know who you are. They just see tall. He must play basketball. So I was like, I'm not famous here. Like, I'm not famous. I'm only famous overseas, which was like a joke because I'm not famous overseas. It's funny because I was thinking someone wrote me and they're like, KO, like, you know, I remember you in, in Cairns, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe someone remembered me. But it's like, I'm like that weird NBA, you know, NBL player that was there for a year when you're just kind of like, oh, I remember him. Like you kind of in the back of your mind. So that was the whole entire point. I'm not famous in... America, I'm only overseas famous. And the book is just if you were just like took a friend of yours, who's just like a down to earth, not egotistical, just chill, fun, dude. And you're like, now you're 6'10 and you're good at basketball, and you're going to get jobs to go play go. And that was my story because that's what I was like and what I am. I'm not like the Kobe, like crazy Kobe mentality. Like I was good at basketball, so I played and I liked my life. Like I wanted to live my life and have fun and enjoy it. 
but I wasn't this like crazy driven, like, like I need to do this. I mean, to extent I was, I wouldn't have been where I was if I wasn't, but I wasn't that crazed guy. I was just a normal dude. And I just explored the world and I was able to do it playing basketball. And that's what the book is. It's just like, if you were just your friend who you could sit next to at at a pub or bar and just like chill with, that's what I am. And I just ended up doing all of these crazy things. And my brother, would, he told me, he was like, dude, you're a lightning rod because everything that has happened overseas that could happen to an overseas guy, it's happened to you. Like you didn't get paid, you got hurt, stuff thrown at you by fans, like every crazy thing that could happen, it's happened to you. And I've been very blessed to see the world in Cairns. You're like, uh, you're in the, you know, the Great Barrier Reef, you're in the rainforest, you're in the outback, you know, you're in a city all within like 20 minutes. And I think that's just so unique. And the fact that I was able to do this and go explore New Zealand and go travel Europe and go to South Korea, like all this crazy stuff as just a big doofy dork, like that was awesome. So that was the book. And that's just pretty much what it is. Just me and telling the stories and telling stories of what happens overseas from like that perspective, like not this like, I'm better than this guy. It was like, I suck. This guy's better than me, but I'm going to win this game somehow. Like that's kind of the mentality. (laughs) No, it seems like a pretty cool mentality to have. And it seems very fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, crazy. Yeah, (laughs) sounds very crazy indeed. That's (laughs) all the questions I'd be, Kevin. Thank you for time today, mate. Well, I appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time. It was a lot of fun to kind of share this story. Well, what a pleasure it was to speak to Kevin Owens and get a glimpse into the basketball journey he has had. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the Pick and Roll and give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pick and Roll AU. Also, please have a browse on the Pick and Roll's online store, as we have all kinds of shirts, hoodies, and mugs that you can buy to represent Aussie hoops wherever you may be. I'll see you next time on another episode of One on One.